0: Welcome back, everyone. We have a new friend joining us today because Kelsey, Kelsey uh, ditched us. So <laughs> welcome to Queer Halftime. My name is Becca. My pronouns are she, they, and I am here with Tuval.
1: Hi, Becca. Thanks so much for welcoming me. My name is Tuval, and I use he, him pronouns.
0: Awesome. And Tuval, what do you want people to know about you?
1: That's such a good question, and um... I think one thing I want people to know about me is that I have three kids and they really push me to think about the world that I want them to live in and um, the way, the kind of opportunities and freedom that they have to be who they are and who they want to be. And yeah, and a lot of my work over the last 20 years has been focused on healthy relationships and gender equity and gender justice.
0: That's great. We love seeing parents making the world better for their kiddos. Uh, So today our kind of concept of the week, I think will apply to what we're talking about today. Obviously it's not the only factor in what we're talking about, uh, but I wanted to just give a little explanation on what toxic masculinity means. Uh, Because I think a lot of people hear it, um, especially men, and think it's, you know, an attack on them just as men for existing, when that's really not it at all. So toxic masculinity refers to a specific brand of masculinity uh, that can be quite harmful to men and the people around them. So it includes, you know, that whole, like, boys don't cry, they can't show emotions, Um, it encourages risk-taking to prove dominance, uh, it's kind of that thing and like you know the man has to wear the pants and all these kind of things do you have I mean you're our first cis man on this show so do you have anything you'd like to add to that
1: yeah I mean that's a huge uh topic of discussion and it's something I'm very passionate about um and I think it's I guess I would say also just thinking about not thinking about it as something that is um cis men interface with it's something that all of us it's it's part of our culture and so all of us can learn ideas about harmful masculinities and and embody them um, and bring those into our relationships and bring those into our work and bring those into our relationship with ourselves and the way that we think about ourselves so in if you live in a society where femininity or the things that are typically thought of as feminine are um, thought of as less than as weak and things that are typically thought of as Masculine are thought of as desirable and strong and um, worthy. Then it's easy for anybody, regardless of your gender, your sexuality, um, to to bring some of those things into yourself and into your relationship. Um, so I think though you know I think that's another thing to to kind of think about, especially in this context, is um, it's easy to kind of push it out there and say like that's a cis man thing, but. But if we say it's not an individual thing, it's a part of our culture, it's a part of what we learn, then anybody can learn those things. Anybody can, um, yeah, be impacted by them. Um, Yeah, and I think just also just thinking about it again, like it's it's so important to reiterate that this is not about an, an individual person or you are toxic. It's thinking about ideas about what it means to be masculine, about what it means to be uh, manly, that create harm in our, in ourselves, um, I think one of the big ones and one of the earliest ones that a lot of boys experience is that separation from emotion and emotionality and being told that, that emotions are weakness and are, um, yeah, just for girls. And that sets us up for a lifetime of challenges for ourselves and for the people we're in relationship with Mm -hmm. Um, because our emotional selves the the depth and and breadth of emotions that we experience are really what define us as a species what makes us different than other animals um, in many ways it is our the kind of emotions we can experience and when you take a boy and you say cut that part of yourself off crush it suppress it hold it in um, we're tr- you know we're basically trying to take the most human part of them away and the consequences of that can't can't be good right they're, they're just um, I often think of it you know when I do workshops with people of all ages and I ask like what emotions is it is it okay for boys or men to show the one consistent thing they say is anger that's that's appropriate and acceptable but Mm -hmm. suppressing your feelings or trying to cut them off doesn't make them go away so you still have all of these feelings inside of you but now you only have one acceptable form of expression so your sadness gets funneled out as anger your disappointment your helplessness um your grief right like all of that is um channeled into this one expression and um that that anger um, and that suppression can be expressed towards oneself, right? Through um, self-harm, through high-risk behavior, through um, addiction, through uh, work—you know, being a workaholic—like all kinds of of those behaviors. And then, in more obvious ways, it can be expressed in relationship to other people.
0: Yeah, I knew you would have an awesome explanation. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean the emotion part. Absolutely. I've seen it with friends and family members. Like you, you get these men who aren't allowed to express themselves. Uh, and then suddenly their wife or their girlfriend or their partner becomes their psychiatrist <laughs> because so much of it is you're only allowed to express like love and stuff to your, your intimate partner. Right. Cause if you say it to your friends, it's gay.
1: And I think, you know, there's a really interesting book by Niobe Way. She did a lot of research on boys and friendship. And up until the age of roughly 12, 13, boys um, in the research have as rich and intimate friendships as girls. Um, and so th- this research was done um, using a, a kind of gender binary lens with boys and girls. Um, and the And then at around 12, 13, 14, the boys' uh, intimacy and connection and um, in their friendships just drops right off. But but the research indicates their desire for that does not change. They still want it, but it has now been stigmatized and problematized and they're made to feel like you said, like it's gay or it's girly, it's feminine. Um, And so they lose that ability to be intimate in friendship. Mm-hmm. And and then, as you indicated, often for for hetero guys, then they are looking for that exclusively within a romantic context, and it puts that whole burden of care and emotional management uh, on that one person.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah. So we still want friends, uh, we want friendship, we want intimacy, um, but we are punished basically, and. Kind of pushed away from it.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's, I mean, it's just so harmful to have this huge chunk of our population that can't, isn't allowed to feel right.
1: And I think we're, I mean, I think we're seeing that being explored and discussed more now in terms of men's mental health and men's, you know, mental well-being. But but what you what you create because one of the other uh, things we're supposed to learn as men is not to ask for help and so you're now seeing you know a group uh, you know as a generalization who's like we need help we've always needed it but it's it's just more and more evident but we have learned that we shouldn't ask for it and that if we do it it mm-hmm. it kind of damages our core identity as somebody who who is strong who is the 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 helper um not not somebody who you know who needs help and so we're, I think, struggling as a society to then, how do we get men to access the kinds of supports we've created for mental health supports because um, they don't necessarily fit the way we see ourselves?
0: Yeah, yeah, it's there's so much stigma, I've noticed, especially with um, kind of older and middle-aged men. And like I've seen it in my own family, how dangerous dangerous it is for men not to ask for help. You know, I've seen self-harm and attempts at suicide because they thought they had to be stoic, right? And so just seeing these men that I care about going to therapy is amazing.
1: And I think even the way we think about depression has been seen through a gendered lens because that kind of stoic uh, masculinity was normalized and that like emotional detachment was normalized and we didn't code it as depression. We just coded it as being a man
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so we wouldn't you know wouldn't necessarily say like that person's struggling or they're um you know detached or isolated we just say like what a man <laughs> <laughs> so we need to we also yeah we need to recode the way we think about what uh, mental wellness looks like
0: absolutely and kind of yeah. jumping off from there a lot of your work is around uh prevention of gender-based violence Uh, which I want to be clear off the top can happen in queer relationships and same-sex relationships and friendships, um, which I think is a really common myth that it doesn't, especially in like uh, relationships with two women, but it very much can. So I was hoping you could kind of educate us on some of the steps we can take to prevent it and to help people out who might be experiencing it.
1: Yeah, I think the first thing is doing what you just did, which is naming it and and speaking to that myth. Like I like I said, sort of at the beginning, like all of us, regardless of our gender and sexuality, can absorb harmful ideas about relationships, and um, and have been exposed to harmful behaviors either in our families of origin or around us, and we can, yeah, those can often be learned. It's like, how do you have a relationship? We often learn that from observing. Um, other relationships around us, and so you know like I uh, for example i um, was reading a graphic novel with my ten year old and there was it was really glorifying jealousy in in romantic relationship as something that that is a a sign of care and a sign of kind of the intensity of the relationship and so we were talking about jealousy and um, how how glorified jealousy is and normalized as a part of of a, a healthy or normal relationship, and so, like that as an example, is not something that it, only hetero folks or or um, cisgender folks see in music, movies, and, and in the media. It's it's we're all exposed to it, right? It, we're, we're all learning um, these these harmful ideas about what makes a, a good relationship or a desirable relationship. So, um, yeah, there's nothing that prevents anyone from um, being either, you know, kind of victimized in in a relationship or or causing harm. And so, um, yeah, like, when I've done, sometimes I've done workshops, and and people, you know, like, I remember a young guy saying to me, like, I don't need this workshop, I, I'm gay. Um, I don't need, you know, I don't need to learn about this. And, and you know, as a, as a straight guy, I didn't want to tell him what he did or didn't need. But, you know, I have concerns about that mentality. Because, yeah, as I said, these are patterns of behavior and ideas that are swimming in our, they're in our water, they're in our air, we breathe, they're everywhere. So, you know, one of the big core components of what we think of as defining an unhealthy relationship is a, is a power imbalance, right? a relationship where one person is either consciously or unconsciously, um, seeking dominance over the other person, so they're more in control. They're making more of the decisions. The other person maybe feels intimidated or can't um, voice their their true self. Um, they feel like they have to hide hide parts of themselves, their desires, their um, their needs. They can't express those because they they might get mocked or teased or just pushed. You know, those things might get pushed aside. So, you know, it's not just like um, you know. I think typically also. Another myth that's very common is that harmful relationships involve physical violence and you know physical violence is just one Expression of of a harmful relationship Mm -hmm. and in, in lots of Damaging and harmful relationships. There's no physical violence, but there's all kinds of other psychological and emotionally abusive behaviors and so yeah, there's people of all genders and all sexualities that learn that dominance over another person is desirable that, that, I, you know, that, 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 I need to be in control. I need to have power. Um, and we, we can express those in our, in our relationships.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know the date for Canada, but I know in the States, um, divorces skyrocketed in the seventies because that's when women were allowed to have bank accounts all of a sudden. And so they were able to develop savings And, you know, that kind of fall back plan to get out of those, right? Because I know a lot of women who have been in abusive relationships and they found it harder to leave because they said, well, he doesn't hit me.
1: Yeah. So we need to redefine um, what healthy relationships are. And so for me, um, you know, it's really important to speak about um, equity in a relationship. Um, You know, do you feel like you can be yourself? Do you feel like your needs and wants matter? Um, do you feel like you are being monitored or controlled, right? So I think, especially now with, with technology, like, um, you know, somebody texting you a hundred times a day, uh, might feel like care, like, oh, this person really wants to know how I'm doing. They want to know where I am, where I'm, you know, where I am. And they, and, and especially when you're, when you're in your early relationships and you just, you just want a relationship, it feels so good to be wanted and, and desired. Um, but those are often the beginnings of control. Right? A person is now like, where are you? Who are you talking to? And that might then start to be like, oh, I don't really like it when you talk to those people or, you know, they, they express jealousy um, or a desire for, you know, to, to kind of move you away from the people that you care about and the behaviors, you know, why don't, you know, I, I care about you so much. I wish you'd spend more time with me and less time doing the, the things that you care about or with the people that you care about. And so that, those kind of little, that it's kind of, it kind of creeps in, Mm -hmm. people often ask like why would you get into an abusive relationship people don't get into abusive relationships right if somebody hit you on the first date you'd be like never doing that again but that's not that's not how it operates right it it creeps in slowly with those kinds of little bits of control those little bits of of dominance Um, I like to do it this way I want you to do it like this Um, of course that can also be expressed um, sexually right through um, demanding sex or manipulating or coercion um, because I think also another myth is that sexual assault can't happen in a committed partnership, right? That sexual assault is something that happens <laughs> with strangers or just on, you know, on dates. But in any relationship, in in a in a long term marriage, right? If if somebody is coercing, manipulating, or forcing somebody um, into doing sexual things that they don't want, that's that's sexual assault. So um, yeah, all of those things start to create uh, patterns. Of behavior patterns of dominance, because we sometimes think of abuse as an incident, like this thing happened, this one thing happened, but it is more often a pattern over time. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's like you just don't see it happening. You don't see those warning signs. And then suddenly you're in a relationship that's been going for a while and you're like, I don't feel good about myself anymore. I don't feel worthy. Um, I feel like I deserve this kind of treatment. Um, I'm isolated from my friends and the people who care about me because I've slowly been pulled away from them and yeah and and if if you're a bit older you might also have all those financial components being controlled as well that makes it difficult so yeah so I think that's also so important is to to kind of teach some of those early warning signs um, so that you're not suddenly in a situation that is so hard to get out of
0: yeah yeah and I find adding in kids or pets just makes that so much harder right
1: absolutely yeah absolutely
0: yeah and I mean you were talking about media like I I find it very rare to see like an actual trusting relationship um in like the media also kind of on social media sometimes <laughs> um yeah and just that lack of like a healthy relationship where you'll get the husband making jokes about how much he hates his wife it's like if you didn't like each other why did you get married
1: yeah I mean even in music right my my uh kids are pretty into Olivia Rodrigo right now, who, you know, very talented. Um, but every song I've heard um, is about sort of, yeah, just like really hating your ex and um, wanting revenge and wanting them to be in pain. And, uh, you know, those are, those are not unusual emotions. And, you know, like, emotions are okay, I, you know, want the bad expression of emotion, but it just skews, I just think about my child and like, how it skews their whole perception of relationship like if that that's so much of the music that that is being created then that's going into their their mind as kind of what to expect and what is normal yeah um so it's yeah it's, it's it's all it's all over the place um in terms of ideas about yeah and i think again like jealousy and dishonesty and yeah just that lack of lack of trust and openness
0: yeah. It makes me think of that song that I think it was Halsey and G-Eazy did. It was like him and I or something. And I remember listening to that the first time and I was like, this is, this is not healthy. It's yeah. And now she's written breakup songs about him. So.
1: <laughs> and, and again, like it's, it's okay to have hard feelings or big feelings and, and, and to express them, but. It's just the incredible dominance of, you know, those, those unhealthy ideas. And then, um, and then nowhere to kind of challenge or question them. Right. And so, you know, like, I don't tell, I try not to tell my kids, like, don't listen to that, but I will try and ask them to have a conversation about that. And, um, you know, what do you think you're, you're being told, you know, and, um, like, like a lot of people, sometimes my kids will say, like, I just like the, the tune or, you know, I don't, I don't believe in the message or and the reality is, is that just, you know, we understand that if the kind of food we put into our body affects our well being. Yeah. And yeah. we often don't understand that the same is true for our brain, right? Like, what are we putting in? Right? If we're, yeah, if we're just playing shooting games, you know, eight hours a day, or we're, we're just watching certain kinds of art, or, you know, it, it is affecting the way we perceive the world, there's just no Um, doubt about it that those things do affect the way we think and feel
0: yeah I mean one of the great things that my therapist told me once is that there are no bad emotions what becomes unhealthy is when you dwell on them or you only focus on those ones um, and then they start to loom larger than say joy or love or those other things
1: yeah and I think jealousy jealousy is a great example of that is like is it human to feel jealousy yeah i think i think it is um and so it's an okay emotion to have is it okay to try and control somebody and change the thing the things they do that make them happy because you're jealous that's that's when you're you know that's when an emotion starts to become a behavior that is unhealthy um so if you know if i tell my partner like sometimes it's hard for me to see you um hanging out with those people or you know and like i just like i want just to express that that's that's hard for me um but i also i want you to be happy and i want you to do those things that's very different right that's that's
0: yeah yeah it's when it becomes possessive right
1: yeah and uh and just kind of owning like this is me this is my feeling um and i i need to deal with it not you you need to deal with it and you need to make it Go away, or you need to, you know, uh, figure out how I can stop feeling this way. Yeah, and again, like I think jealousy is something that people of all genders experience and and express sometimes as a way to exert control or you know change change somebody's behavior.
0: Yeah, I mean, one of the things I say to the people who come to our P meetings, which is you know parents, teachers, allies, um, is that your your feelings are completely valid. Uh, but you can't make them your child's problem, right? Or your partner's or whoever, right? So you can, you're allowed to have your feelings. That's perfectly natural. It's when you make it your partner's problem to solve that it becomes problematic.
1: So I think in the, in the context, kind of you started this conversation by talking about that the myth that this doesn't happen in certain kinds of relationships. And I think part of what is worth discussing is then... If you feel that, like you're in in a relationship or you have an identity that is is seen as it's not possible for you to experience this, um, how do we make it okay to reach out? How do we make it okay to access supports mm-hmm. and feel like it's okay? You know, I, so I think I think that's that's important. And I think the other thing for for younger folks too, I think the term domestic violence is often um, a bit problematic because it. I think in most people's minds, you think of a long term marriage or you know long term relationship with that term. But dating violence, like 15 to 24 year olds are a very high risk group mm-hmm. for dating violence and and relationship violence or some people call interpersonal violence. Um, so I think sometimes that that language of domestic violence leaves young people kind of they feel like they're not part of that conversation. They're not part of that um, issue. Um, And so, yeah, so I think it's really important to have these conversations in spaces with young people to help them recognize, like, this could be happening. Um, It could be happening to people you care about. Um, And it's, a lot of us are having, you know, when we're in that 15 to 24-year-old category, we're having our first relationships. So we will make mistakes. Um, We are learning, um, how can we do that in a way that is least harmful to ourselves and to others, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes you don't recognize what's happening. Right. So you have no prior experience
1: and you don't necessarily know who you can talk to. You know, in my, my first relationships, I wasn't talking to my parents about them. You know, I wasn't going to them and saying, you know, this happened, is that healthy? Why do I feel this? Like, I wasn't talking about those things at all. And so I didn't have anybody other than those partners to, um, kind of assess the, you know, and I just assumed that they knew what was normal or that's what you know so we were just floundering um and you know making mistakes along the way and you look back and you're like well i wish i knew or i wish i'd had people to talk to i wish i'd had support and so you know folks in who have groups like out loud and are connecting and accessing that um you know I, i i hope that they they feel and they can understand that you know the the all those learnings are normal and um it just having some a space to share that and ask for just just reflecting like is this okay mm-hmm. like this happened is is it do you think that's okay do you think that um yeah should should we do something about that how can i speak about this like if because i think for me when i was young i just thought if i brought up any problems or things i didn't like people would just break up with me Yeah. Like that that was, that was my assumption. I was like, I'm, you know, I, I don't I don't have all this leeway. You know, if I express like I'm not happy about this, it'll be like, okay, see you later.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You're kicked you're kicked to the curb, right? And so I think for a lot of people it's like that. It's like, how do I actually say what I feel? How do I express that this isn't this part I like you, but this thing or this behavior isn't working for me. Mm-hmm. Um so even just being able to say that, to ask somebody, to ask an adult that you trust to say like, how, how can I word that in a way that isn't, um, you know, is less hurtful or, yeah, I just don't know how to express that. Like those things I think just would be so helpful.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Having someone with the benefit of experience and hindsight to talk to, like even just myself looking back on relationships when I was a teenager and I was like, that was not healthy. <laughs> so yeah, having someone to talk to is great. Um, how would you advise people if they see, say, one of their friends or someone they care about getting into one of these patterns um, to kind of broach that? Because I know from experience that you can't just say, hey, you need to break up with them or them.
1: Yeah, I think that is, it's such a challenging position to be in. It's one of the hardest caring roles there is because um, that person is not necessarily in love, but they're Um, developing care for another person and they're attached to that person or they're attached to the relationship, right? Because we can be attached to the idea Mm -hmm. of the relationship. I like being in a relationship. I like having a partner. I like that feeling. It's not necessarily that person. So both of those things we can attach to. And so then you're trying to take that away from them, right? You're saying like, this isn't good. And and it might be actually hard for them to get out. Yeah. Right. Depending on how kind of deep into it they are, like those those hooks, those attachments, um, may be very deep, and and getting out might be difficult. And so, what we're asking, you know, or asking them to look at or or to do is is very hard. Like I often say, change is hard, even when we want it. Yeah. Right. Like there's yeah. things that I think about every day about changing about the way I behave or live my life, and. How many of those things do I do? Right, change is hard, and so we're asking people to change. So when we're in a position, a role where we see a friend or someone we care about, I think being sensitive and being gentle is is really important. Expressing our care, um, you know, I care about you, and I have this, I have these concerns. Um, you know, it's not that I don't care about that other person, or I don't that I don't like them, but this is what I'm observing, right? Um, you seemed happier before, Uh, you used to do more things that you enjoy before, you know, just so just observing, this is what I see, Mm -hmm. Um, rather than sort of attacking and saying, like, that person's a jerk, and you should dump them. And this is what you, you know, I know better than you, because nobody likes that. Nobody likes to be told that they're wrong, and they don't know what they're doing. And I think especially teenagers, right, we're already being, you know, teenagers are already being told that by so many people in their lives. But, you know, at school and, and and at home, like they feel that. So then, yeah. So I think a lot of it is just offering support and saying, if if it's true for you, saying I'm here for you, if you want to talk. And also like, I know this person, I know Becca, she's really cool, you can talk to her. Like just offering those referrals that there there is support out there, letting people know, you know, if you need someone to just talk about this this relationship, you know, they're not gonna try and make you break up, but they're just somebody to, to talk to and get support from. Yeah. Um, I think those things can be, can be really helpful. And I guess I would also just say, we, when we have these conversations about um, supporting somebody in a harmful relationship, we almost always think about being the person who cares about the person being harmed. But the person who's doing the harm is in, has friendships too. And so if we're the person who is, has a friendship with somebody being harmful, we also can act right? It's not just the, the person supporting the person who's being harmed. We can also talk to the person who's doing harmful things and say, I'm really concerned about you. I care about you. And I can see that you're, you know, you just, you seem really angry or you're, you're behaving in ways that, that don't seem healthy for you. And, and, you know, I care about you. And so I think that's important too, as we like that, that person needs support too. They're making, they're making mistakes. Um, they're doing things that, that will, live with them as well for a long time. So, um, I, I guess I also just want to encourage people to think about that, that role as well.
0: Yeah. That's one of my favorite things to see is, um, especially, you know, when somebody is engaging in those toxic behaviors is seeing one of their friends step up and be like, Hey, you know, or like, I've seen it with groups of men. Right. And one of them will make, you know, a joke about how much they hate their partner or we'll be talking about, you know, that crazy bee or whatever. And one of their friends will step up and say like, hey, man.
1: It's, that's a huge role that, that we can play. And, and like just going back to the beginning of our conversation in terms of the um, like harmful, harmful ideas about masculinity is that that, uh, that we can challenge those things and we can we can affect them. And and I think a lot more of us are uncomfortable with those things than we believe. But we're all, you know, we're so often silent because we don't want to be called out. We don't want to be the person who's, you know, the 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 bummer all the time, who's who's challenging people. But oftentimes, when we speak up, we're actually voicing the opinions of a lot of people who are in that space. Right? We're actually creating um, permission and opportunities for others to also just be who they are and be themselves. So.
0: Yeah, I find being the first person to talk about something that is stigmatized is so hard. But as soon as you do, you get, you know, the second, third, fourth, fifth. Suddenly everybody's talking about, you know, whatever it is. Like I noticed in my family, we, you know, one person stood up and started talking about their mental health. And now all of a sudden we joke about anxiety and talk about it and acknowledge it.
1: it can Things can change. And I think that's also just such an important message. It's it's so easy when you're in a specific moment or a context to think this is how it's always going to be we we can change the culture and the environment around us and and it can can be better yeah Um, and i you know i see that with my kids you know um i have kids who are who are non-binary and their experience at school is so radically more positive and different than what would have been possible even 10 years ago Um, there's an assumption by the educators that You know, whether they personally believe, you know, whatever their personal beliefs are, they 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 know the assumption is that they will provide a safe learning space for that young person. And, you know, a lot of their peers are just it's just not a big deal for them. So I know that's not everybody's experience. I'm not saying that Mm -hmm. it's all unicorns and and rainbows, but um, but things can change. And that that gives me a lot of hope.
0: Absolutely. So we've talked kind of about what we can do on a person-to-person level. Um, is there stuff you recognize for like organizations or kind of more systemic things that you know we can kind of work towards?
1: Well, I think organizationally, a lot of organizations and employers now recognize that and have systems in place. So if you have mental health concerns as an employee or you are dealing with addiction, you can go to your employer and you can say, I'm having this struggle, it's affecting my work, and they will support you, right? They, they won't fire you. They will, they have a system in place to actually connect you to supports. I think we really lack that around uh, issues of gender-based violence. You can imagine if you're living in a the context of of a harmful relationship at home, how much that can affect your your ability to to work and and even just to feel safe at work so i think one of the things we can do is is create clarity around what happens if you come to work and say i'm i'm dealing with a lack of safety at home and it's affecting my work and i how can i be supported in my work context Um, so i've seen a few organizations develop um, policies and procedures around that and i think that is huge to know um, that this is something that people at work are not, you know, it's such a taboo subject. And so I think f- for a lot of people, it's just like, what will happen if I s- talk about this at work? How will my, how will people respond? You know, p- you know, people are, are really afraid that they won't be believed, um, that they mm-hmm. will be judged, that they'll be, you know, they already often experience a lot of shame and self self blame, and that that will happen again when they talk to somebody. So, you know, just knowing, oh, you know, my people at work or my supervisor or somebody um, has some knowledge about this has, you know, they're not going to be a counselor or, you know, a a professional about it, but they, they have some awareness and they have some capacity to support me. I think that's, that could go a long way. I think that's, that's one thing that I would recommend.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Like just, I guess, really anything that can break down that stigma, right. Is, Helpful in the
1: long run. Yeah. And then I think for institutions like schools, I think again, like all of the myths that we've been talking about, anything they can do to break down those myths, you know, like if you're putting up posters in a school that say like domestic violence is wrong, it's it's good to be addressing it. But does that actually speak to young people, right? Do they know what domestic violence is? Do they think domestic violence can even happen to a young person, right? Would they name the lack of safety they feel in their relationship as domestic violence, right? Like all those things, um, if they don't, and and then again, if they're trans or in a same-sex relationship or any of those things, then they might even further feel like this isn't about me or this isn't for me. These people don't understand me. The supports don't get me, right? Like all those things. So how can those kinds of institutions communicate they have some sense of what this means? Um, And that, I mean, that also involves, actually making sure you do understand, right? So not just saying, right, like that's, I, I struggle with, you know, places that just put a rainbow, you know, we're a safe space or whatever. It's like, you, you actually have to do some work, right? And so, yeah, uh, yeah. so institutions should be doing that work and then they should be communicating really well. Like this is something we're working on and we're, we're wanting to support you around this.
0: That's, yeah, that's really, really awesome. And I think really helpful. Um, are there any kind of final thoughts you have anything that we didn't get to that you really wanted to, or?
1: Um, no, I think that that was a really good conversation. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do awesome. want to answer the joy question though. Is that still coming?
0: Yeah. Yeah. We're doing that right now. So you can go first if you like.
1: So the question is what brings us joy at the moment?
0: Yeah. What, yeah. What's bringing you joy right now?
1: So two two things I wanted to say from the media because we've kind of uh, talked some trash about about the media. One is uh, RuPaul's appearance on Saturday Night Live. So I've been watching a lot of those skits uh, on on YouTube, and that's that's been just just fabulous. And then I guess more in line with what we're talking about is the third season of Sex Education on Netflix. Oh um, is really amazing. That's a, it's a really amazing show. It's not, it's not sex education. It's a, it's fictional. It's about teenagers in a, in a high school in England. And and one of their moms is a sexual health counselor and and educator. And he starts to, he, he realizes that his peers are not getting the support they need. And he sets up an illegal, um, clinic basically in the bathroom at school where he doles out sexual health advice and support
0: oh my gosh that's amazing
1: yeah and the the depiction of young people as as sexual uh but in you know not in a way that's kind of scandalous and over the top uh, i think is really powerful and positive and their need for information and support and then. Thirdly, and maybe most joyously, is the representation of different kinds of relationships, different kinds of identities, non-binary folks, and and people in same-sex relationships, and just like that, like it just brings me so much joy, and also that those characters' lives aren't defined by those identities, like you're gay, but your relationship with another guy isn't the thing about you you're a whole person and you know I think so much of uh media that that representation of folks within the community is just that's what they're about and 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 is hypersexual and and kind of sex is the only important thing so yeah it's it's really beautiful on on a lot of levels
0: that's amazing I've heard good things about it I haven't watched it but maybe I should because that sounds really awesome <laughs> yeah. awesome how about you um, so mine is more related to disability and kind of accessibility. Um, I was introduced to this PC app called Wii Mod, Um, and it's, it connects to your Steam account, which is where you download like video games and stuff. Um, and it's basically a way to make things, uh, games more accessible. So you can turn on like unlimited health or like all these different kind of like cheats, quote unquote. Um, And it's really helpful for people who don't necessarily have the manual dexterity or who they have something affecting their reaction time. And so they can still enjoy the game and play it and be involved, but you know, you don't die 30 times and rage quit.
1: (laughs) Yeah. That's amazing. What's it called?
0: Uh, We mod. So W E M O D. I think it's like nine bucks a month to unlock all the features uh, which is great because my reaction times are garbage. Like I used to literally throw the controller at my brother when QuickTime events came up. <laughs> so yeah, and now that's my dog's awesome. come to say hi. Ooh, there's Jester.
1: <laughs> oh. Oh, Jester. Oh. There's another yeah. joyful.
0: Creature. So yeah, that's awesome. um, that's my joy for this week, is I got to go back and actually finish a game that I rage quit like five years ago, because they throw like 20 enemies at you at once. <laughs>
1: that's great thanks for sharing that
0: yeah yeah and thank you so much for um, coming on and talking to us i think my dog is telling me it's time to wrap up
1: yeah that's perfect and yeah i guess just to to say either for for the podcast purposes or just in general um you know if there are folks who want to talk more and get more in depth i'd love to to support and and help and uh, support out loud in that way awesome
0: thank you so much Uh, Thank you, everybody, for listening. Be kind to yourself and others, and we will see you next week. Bye.